in your Bibles, please, for our first reading to another fairly short chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians 10, verse 1, hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such an one think this, that such as we are, in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise." But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you, for we are come as far as to you in the preaching of the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to your hand or to our hand, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Well, this is a timely passage. I think there are are a lot of things 
that we see in this passage that we struggle with uh, in modern Christianity of all stripes, truly. <clears throat> so in the first section, notice um, that there are things that have, there are criticisms, not things, but criticisms that have come uh, toward the Apostle Paul. And some of those criticisms that have been leveled at him, well, they started out with you know, a disagreement with some of the things that he taught. But then they devolved into things like, he's a short guy. His speech is contemptible. Um, you know, he, he writes these big and weighty letters, but have you seen him when he gets here? It's, it's like he's nothing, you know. And so Paul says, you're treating with us as if the battle that we do is an earthly, carnal, or fleshly battle. That it has to do with these temporal things. Right? Now, this has been a problem for the people of God for a long time. When they would choose a king over themselves at the beginning of, of the era of the monarchy in Israel, before the monarchy was divided or the nation divided, they chose Saul. And why did they choose Saul? Well, it said that he was a goodly man and that he was head and shoulders above the rest of the people. A fitting emblem for a king, if you will. They chose him as a leader because of his physical stature. Now, did he turn out to be a good leader? Actually, no, not at all. The youth, David, turned out to be the leader. Saul, not so much. But the choice that they made was according to appearances. It was according to a carnal appearance or an earthly or temporal appearance rather than those things that are, are what Paul will call in this passage Weighty and mighty. So he says, that you, you're, you're, you're judging me based on the disparity, you suppose, between my letters and my appearance. You judge with me as if we, the apostles, and those who accompany us, war after the flesh. That's not our warfare at all, Paul says. And Christian, it's not your warfare either. Our warfare is not a carnal or temporal warfare. It's not things that are carnal. It's rather things that are mighty. You might have thought he was going to contrast carnal with spiritual. But he didn't. He said, they're not carnal but mighty. Why? Because all of that stuff with regard to physical prowess and height and stature and... Um, oh, I don't know, uh, cool factor, and all of those other things that attract people to men uh, in a, you know, for, an, for a temporal or, or outward kind of way, those things are all very weak when it comes to spiritual matters. Although we as fallen human beings are attracted to the tall and the mighty and the you know, good leader, the goodly person, the handsome, and so on, Although we're attracted to that, that is a witness to the weakness of humanity instead of anything positive. Because Paul will say that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. What strongholds is he talking about? He's, he's talking about casting down imaginations. And the word translated as imaginations there is the same word we get um, logarithm from 
It's the same word we get uh, logic from. It's really a word that should very well be translated as reasonings. Casting down human ideology, paradigms of thought, philosophies, reasonings, and so on. Casting down imaginations, reasonings, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is our ministry about instead, Paul says? It's, it's, this, is how, this is what we tear down. What do we build up? Bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Beloved, the battle is not in your biceps. The battle is in your mind. Now we must understand that and we must behave ourselves accordingly. It's not in our biceps, it's in the mind. Bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and then even one step beyond that and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That is that as a part of your obedience you have a particular vengeance against disobedience in yourselves and in others. And by vengeance here, we take ourselves back to chapter 7, where he said, where he, you know, he talked through all of those marks of repentance, and then he said, what vengeance? Remember that? Okay, so that's where, that's where Paul is in this passage. You're assaulting me, you're insulting me, and this is devolved into my physical appearance. This, this shows you how far you are, Corinthian church, from proper understanding of things. You're still battling in the weak and carnal things of this world where we apostles, we're doing battle for the minds of the world, for the minds of those in the church, for the ideologies that we as Christians ought to embrace under Christ and obeying him in every thought. The standard, beloved, is nothing short of that. And when we begin to think along those lines, we think biblically, we think according to the teaching of the Apostle Paul, obviously that is a very humbling thing to think through. We will recognize in ourselves weaknesses in the biblical worldview. There are times among the best of us when we are drawn aside by our own lusts and enticed and the biblical worldview falls by the wayside and we become prey to our own lusts, to the temptations of Satan, to the baubles of the world and so on and we become carnally oriented rather than spiritually and mightily oriented. So this is what the apostle is speaking to us about here. He's speaking to the Corinthian church specifically and he uses the occasion of their insulting of his physical appearance and prowess to talk about that which is truly mighty, truly weighty, those spiritual truths, those paradigms of thought that are presented in scripture to which we all must give our loyalty and obedience in everything. So, verse 7. Do ye look after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's. Give us the benefit of the doubt, Paul will say, in our teaching to you. Give us the understanding. I, Paul, especially as one of the founding ministers of the Corinthian church, remember your roots 
if you will, Paul will say here. And then he will, he will say this beyond, and this is uh, specifically pertaining to the ministry of the gospel. And so I will instruct those who are aspiring to that ministry to hear what the apostle says here, or those of you men who will be aspiring to church office someday. Think of what the apostle says here, verse 8, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. It is not a shame, Paul will say, for me to magnify the authority of my office, because it is given for your edification and not for your destruction. What is the the end of the ministry? What is the end of officership in the church? Remember what Peter will say about that in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's all about the flock. It's all about their edification. It's all about their feeding and building them up. It's not for destruction. The older divines will say this is not a privative power. It is a perfective power. That's what it's about. The office of the ministry, when it is rightly being exercised, we, we all acknowledge that there are those who have uh, occupied the office falsely. And they had no business in office. And they would indeed use that power then for destruction and for tyranny and so on. But if it is being rightly exercised, it is a perfective sort of authority. It is for the edification of the body of Christ. It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. So, that's verse 8. That I may not seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. In other words, when I give you correction, I'm not just doing that to be threatening. That's not my point. I don't mean to threaten You receive it as if I'm just, you know, flexing my biceps over you, spiritually speaking, authority speaking. I'm being an authoritative guide to you. Actually, what I'm doing is I am promoting your perfection, not your destruction. That's the point that Paul is making here. So then, verse 10, we get to the the report that Paul had received for his letters, say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. And now Paul says, if you want weightiness, when we come to you this third time, truth be told, I came not to this point to spare you, but this coming time I will not spare. You've pushed me out to this very point, that in order to your perfection and edification, there must be some difficulty. That's what's being said here. So then in verses 12 through the end of the chapter, there's, there's another section here. And I, I think it's twofold. I want to maybe hustle through it some a little bit. But it's twofold, the objection that the apostle has. The first objection is this, and let's remember this, the historical situation. The historical situation is that Paul was indeed the founding minister. It was through the preaching of Paul that the Corinthian church was established. Remember, they, they, uh, they left the synagogue, right? The ruler of the synagogue, Crispus and Gaius and, and so on, Stephanus and all of those. They left the synagogue because they were put out by the jealous Jews. 
And so they ended up somewhere else, and, and, they, and they were conducting these services. And so the Apostle Paul is about to tell them this. I have not gone where other men have labored first and built upon their labors. These men that are assaulting me in your presence today, they do so while standing on my labors. And I have not done that, Paul will say. I've not preached Christ where other men have already paved the road for me. No, the ministry that the Lord has given to me was to go where Christ had not been named. And so keep in mind, Corinthians, that when these men say, you don't need to listen to Paul, his, his letters are weighty, but his appearance is contemptible. We don't need to worry about him. That they do so while standing on my shoulders. You hear that? That's a pretty good argument, isn't it? That the only reason that they're there as preachers at all is because it was the Lord's mercy through me that, it was, that, that the Corinthian church was originally founded. So I'm not going other places where other men have paved the road. I'm going to those places where Christ has not been named to you and beyond you. Our authority reaches all the way to you, Corinthians, because we have a stake in you, because we were there at the very beginning. These other men that have come along lately, they stand on our shoulders in order to assault us. So it's an argument against what had been going on in Corinth, where Paul is pressed. He will say later, I speak as a fool. He's pressed into defending his ministry. Why? For his ministry's sake? No, for the sake of the Corinthian church. It is for their perfection and not for their destruction. But we will not boast of things without our measure. Verse 13. But according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. We have authority among you, beloved. We're not stretching ourselves outside of that authority when we write a letter and correct you. It's not out of bounds for us to do that. Those other teachers, they must stand on our work in order to uh, assault our work, which is indeed not proper. So that sounds to me like a, like a pretty good argument that they should continue to listen to Paul. That's, I think, what he's saying there. And then finally, beyond that in verse uh, 15, not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Um, the other thing that, that, that he mentions is this, this sort of self-congratulatory nature that is going on between these men. Uh, there are a number of these teachers that are living, can I put it in modern terminology? They're living in their own spiritual echo chamber. And so they have ceased to have to defend their views because they're all shaking their heads in the same direction. So we are not of the number, Paul says, uh, who compare ourselves with ourselves or commend ourselves by ourselves or measure ourselves by ourselves. This is not wise. This is not what we ought to be doing. Everything must run back to the scriptures. Everything must run back to the foundation. And so in this last section, there are two things that Paul objects to. 
Number one, he objects to the spiritual echo chamber of the teachers in Corinth that don't deal with his arguments and simply set him aside. And then he deals with the fact that they must stand upon his shoulders to assault him because they are indeed part of the, of the fruit of Paul's ministry in Corinth. So then, notice verses 16 and 17, and this is how, this is how Paul We'll finish up the chapter. To preach the gospel in regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. Right? So, in other words, we're not coming back to you to stay there and to become residents. No, our job is to go beyond you and not to stand in someone else's readiness and the road that they have paved, but to pave new roads for the gospel and the kingdom in Christ. In fact... The Apostle Paul, toward the end of his ministry, will say, I have fully preached the, the gospel from Jerusalem to, to Illyricum. That's, to put it in ancient Near Eastern terms, that's one end of the empire to the other. Right? That's, and I have, Paul will say, fully preached the gospel there. And so that Paul took that, that aspect of his ministry very seriously is what we see here. And so he's telling them then that he has other labors beyond them, but he does write to them for their good. So he proves himself to be a good minister, even of the Corinthians here. And then finally in verses 17 and 18, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. And beloved, I would simply counsel you, in these days, not to, to be very careful. We have a, a great facility in our day to commend ourselves, don't we? We see this on social media. Uh, I, was, uh, I was watching with, with some, I don't know, I guess the word is consternation. I was disappointed to see a minister of the gospel go online and post one of his own sermons prefaced by saying, uh, I don't normally post my own sermons, but this is really important. Okay, willing to allow for that. But then after that, seems like every week now he's posting his own sermons. I didn't, I didn't understand that. There's a, there is a great facility to, uh, to commend ourselves that has been fostered by this this media that can be used indeed unto narcissistic ends. And we must just be very careful with that. We must take great pains with that, that we should not glory except in the Lord, because he that commendeth himself is not approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. And shall we then submit our case unto him for commendation and stop grandstanding and playing to the crowd. Right? It's all too easy for every one of us to do that these days. And so this is a, this is a timely caution from the Apostle Paul. All right, with that, let's stand and call upon the name of the Lord.